Hello and welcome to the WAMDA podcast. My name is Triska Hamid and I'm the editor at WAMDA. Earlier this year, WAMDA published a report on the state of pre-seed startups in the Middle East and North Africa. What emerged from our research was that the UAE, and in particular Dubai, remains the hub of startup activity. Entrepreneurs from across the region flock to the UAE to set up base, but Emiratis make up less than 3% of entrepreneurs. So why is this? Some of the reasons are well known. Government and public sector jobs are highly coveted. They're well paid. They usually come with tenure and a sense of prestige that comes alongside the feeling of doing something for your country. On the other hand, Emirati entrepreneurs also have to battle and deal with the unfair stereotypes of the well-pampered national who prizes short workdays over the hard work and tenacity required to succeed as an entrepreneur. And speaking of success, the fear of failure is another issue, one that has plagued the entire region and prevented many from going it alone. To get a better idea of why there are so few Emirati entrepreneurs, I spoke with Ahmed Abdul Hakim, founder of the Three Fields Restaurant Group, about his entrepreneurial journey, Salwa Al Zahmi, who is breaking perceptions of female entrepreneurs in the deep tech space with her startup SBL Co., and Professor Ramesh Jaganathan, Vice Provost for Entrepreneurship at NYU Abu Dhabi. But let's begin with Ahmed, who I spoke to before the lockdown. He has held several public sector posts, heads up the successful Three Fields restaurant group in Dubai, and is now working on some new ventures. And it all started with his first foray into making money, selling figs. So the first business, I did it when I was uh, eight years old. We had a fig tree in, uh, in, in home, and I used to go to this tree every Friday, collect all the figs, and go to to uh, Jum'a prayer and try to sell these figs after the Jum'a prayer. Nice. Yeah, I used to put uh, all the figs in the tomato can, and it was five dirham for each. <laughs> That's quite expensive. Uh, at that time, yeah, but it was good figs. So this was my first business. I remember I made like, uh, I used to make uh, 200 dirham, 150 dirham. That's not bad. That's yeah. a lot of figs to sell. Yeah, at that time, yeah, it was really uh, good money. So uh, I joined the government and from there I started studying uh, disaster management, mm-hmm. emergency and disaster management. And this is where I built a little bit of like a different personality where I've been involved in a lot of disasters, accident. I understand uh, the importance of, uh, of the right service, the right time, uh, the right team, uh, because uh, you deal with, with, with people. You deal with the most sensitive uh, uh, moment when someone asks for emergency, when someone is stuck, when someone had an accident, which is really very uh, sensitive uh, for people. So this is where I improve my skills on service development or service improvement. Uh, after that, uh, I studied uh, innovation and change man- management, and I was leading the innovation team in, uh, in, in, in my government entity at that time. Um, I also started on the side my first restaurant. Okay. This was in 2011. Which restaurant was this? Which is a very traditional uh, restaurant serving mendi and uh, okay. these kind of things. And this was the first business I started in 2011. Actually, this restaurant is, is, is one of like, it's kind of a training course for me where I learned a lot from it, made a lot of mistakes. And at the same time, I tried other business, which is like, uh, you know, car business. I didn't do well. I kind of failed in that business. Why? 
I didn't enjoy it, I think. Okay. Yeah, I was just doing it because I thought, yeah, this is very good. Everyone looking for cars. Cars is a big industry. But then I think I failed because I'm not enjoying it. And the whole time you still had your government job while you were launching this At that businesses? time, yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. How did you split the time? Was it easy to do both? It's not easy. I don't believe uh, on balance life as people explain it. Okay. You know, when you, people say balance life is 50, 50, 30, 30, 30, 30, I don't believe this. I believe in quality time, uh, but then, you know, you have to sacrifice. You have to give to what you do, otherwise it will not grow. So from 2011, I tried a couple of different businesses. I didn't enjoy them, so I went back to a restaurant business. This okay. is where I opened again uh, Three Fills uh, restaurant. So you launched Three Fills in what year? 2016. Planning for it started 2013. Did you raise external funding or did you fund it? No, it by was yourself? like a just internal uh, internal fund. Okay. Uh, families and, and and friends, so the co-founders only. And did you continue with your government job at this time or did you leave? What in happened? 2016, I I still on on, on government job. Okay. Uh, by 2019, I uh, moved myself from from government job. Okay. And I, I'm now full-time on three fills. I want to understand, was it an easy decision for you to leave your government job and focus only on three fills? No, it's not. It's a, it's a big move yeah. for me to, 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 to a move from, uh, I don't want to say comfort zone because today, you know, the way government is not an easy uh, job as people think, you know, especially if you are like, you know, really looking after like, you know, products and services and, you know, coming back, coming back from, from uh, an emergency service. This is where you like, whole your life is in, in, on emergency. So uh, it was a big move. Uh, this decision made when everyone say like, you know, there, there, there was a crisis, business is down. So why are you leaving your job? I think, you know, sometimes, you know, as, as a guy from, from Dubai, I would be looking, where can I do something, you know, uh, or what can I do better thing for Dubai? So I thought going to a business, trying to make something new, I might do something really, I don't want to say like uh, impact, but help a little bit uh, the economy in Dubai. And this is what we are doing now. So we did a, a study on the state of pre-seed startups in the Middle East, and it turned out that a lot of the founders were from Egypt. Even the startups that are based here or in Saudi, the founders tend to be Egyptian. Less than 3% were Emirati. So there, there aren't enough Emirati founders or entrepreneurs. And what we have found is that those that do go and become entrepreneurs tend to focus on the FMB sector. They go into fashion and design. Why do you think that is? I think the first reason Egypt is 100 million, uh, you know, population of people. We just 1 million. So uh, I think, you know, there are many reasons for this. Again, it's, it's like, it's, it's easy to have a government job here. In uh, Egypt is not that easy to have a government job. And most of the people here looking maybe for government job, which is an issue. But now you start like seeing a lot of new startups coming to the market uh, led by uh, UAE nationals. Uh, but the other reason is like many people go to the food and beverage businesses. We see a lot of Emiratis now opening their own restaurants. Why is that? People think food and beverage is easy. Everyone say, I like food. So let's open a food. But it's not because a lot of restaurants close down in Dubai after a few years. Yes, that, that's true. This is, this, is, this, is, this is what people need to understand. And this is what I think also uh, uh, we need more people to go uh, 
behind uh, technology, uh, solving really uh, a valid problem. What can be done? Is it a case of improving the education or is it a case of a shift in the culture to encourage more of the Emirati nationals to pursue jobs in the private sector or to become entrepreneurs? I think education is, is, is one of the most uh, important uh, elements when it comes to educating these kids, you know, the future or... Uh, because the way how I remember education is policeman, doctor, pilot. I never like thought about like doing your own business, which is which is an issue. Uh, but I can see now like you know uh, like some some of the initiatives there in the market, Tajir Sagir. So they started doing doing something toward this because one day government will not be able to 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 hire everyone, um, and the future or like the economy need to support more uh, or the economy will be supported more by more SMEs. So we need more SMEs. So I think, yeah, education is, is one of the most uh, important elements. Uh, and also like uh, culture-wise, I think it's improving a lot where people start thinking about their own business. Now you see a lot uh, of people talking about I need to do my, uh, my, my own, but we need also to educate them like doing your own is not only like you know don't think about the fun part of it it's, it's, it's it comes with commitment uh, you need to sacrifice a lot of things uh, in a way you will be a lonely some of the time so this is where you need to understand so doing your own things is not an easy thing but anyone can make it if he's willing to make it okay. i remember once you asked me why don't investors invest in emirati startups do you still feel that that is the case um, when I ask you this, when I ask you this question, I, I remember your answer was because you guys are funded well from government, mm -hmm. uh, which is not the case from like for everyone. Let's go back to my case now, which like I'm doing my own uh, or we're doing our own uh, tech startup. But at this case, we are not looking for fund. We just fund everything like internally. Alhamdulillah, we 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 had or we raised about one million dollar, but everything is internally for for that project. But when it's come to government, I think government in, in UAE they are they are supportive. That's why, you know, some some maybe some of the investors uh, think, uh, you know, what I don't have a clear answer for this. Okay. It's very conf like I don't know because I never been through this, so I, you, I don't would, think. Would you personally go to a VC here and try and raise investment, or is your network enough for you to to raise investment? At this case, I think my network is, is enough. Mm -hmm. I believe uh, you should, or I believe uh, going to VCs or going to investors should be like, you know, on, on a later stage when you have a good traction, when yeah. you already have a valid uh, case and you already start generating business. Uh, uh, for like, for the early stage, you should fund your, your own or you should find family and friends. Uh, going to the VC from like an early stage, it's, it's a waste of time unless the VC owner is your cousin. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, uh, yeah, I, don't, I, I think it should be on a later stage. Okay. When considering getting a new phone or laptop, it can be easy to focus too much on the physical aspects of the gadget rather than the internal workings and the software. Software upgrades seem easy and simple. 
It requires a click and a few minutes to get the latest version. But behind that simplicity is extensive lines of coding and programming, and the languages used also need updating. Selwa Al Zahmi startup, SPL Co., allows companies to digitize and upgrade their software quickly and economically. SPL is a deep tech startup. It offers a software solution for ICT organization, particularly to transform uh, their software system into the cloud. And uh, basically, uh, just to simplify that, is like our platform is really provide a reverse engineering AI based. Uh, uh, technique that's in a state of organization to spend a lot of uh, hire a lot of resources in terms of developers or uh, allocate a lot of developers to do transfer systems for another platform help SPL help them to reduce that uh, uh, tremendously so in a state of having six six developer for example for carry any software upgrade transform SPL help them to reduce that for one and two. Where did the idea come from? How did you go about the process of, of founding SPL? Well, actually, it's coming out of uh, uh, I've been in the industrial field for more than 10 years and I've been in the research as well. And we found out there is a lot of organization suffer from outsourcing software to third party company. And a lot of uh, organization also finds issue with legacy software. So uh, when they want to upgrade it to new technology, like cloud to operate, uh, to like to have like a large scale for the application, they find a huge difficulty because the engineer who have worked on it, they are not around there. And uh, uh, even the legacy software is being written in a very old language. So from there, actually from this exposed to these problems, through the R&Ds that I've been doing at Khalifa University for five years in this area, and also my previous comment, they come up to we come up actually to work on this uh, this project. And uh, just to give an example for that, you might hear recently because of COVID-19, there is a lot of organization that cannot scale their platform. An example for the the insurance uh, uh, software that has been written by COBOL. Uh, in uh, the support the the New Jersey uh, state uh, in the U.S. So the system wasn't able to accommodate the large number of applications for unemployment that's been reported by individuals who have lost their job because of COVID-19. The applications that been built in COBOL, what is, uh, it was outdated, it wasn't able to scale. So that's the need that must, that make it a must for the government and the state of uh, New Jersey to uh, uh, immediately hire COBOL programmer to migrate it to a new new system to the cloud. So this is a very typical example for SPL to operate in that uh, in the in this exactly to solve su- such as a problem. I was going to ask you whether this is a problem that's seen in the region or whether it's a global one. Clearly, it is a global problem. Yeah, it is a global one. This is one of the case when you have legacy and you want to upgrade. And there is also very recent problem that happened. I don't know if you heard about it. It's called the, the, the Neil prediction model for coronavirus deaths that's being used by UK governments. Uh, they got they give like a wrong uh, num- a num- number of deaths by October. Like, for example, they give that when they run that model, they actually give them like expectation of 5,000 death rate on October because of COVID-19. And that's called the government to take the action to send people to work from home. But actually that model has been built using a very old language C++ where it was hard to run it and test it. So when the engineer run it again, it's give different readings, 200,000, which is the tremendous. Uh, and it's a very well known uh, kind of uh, uh, issue in software failure 
because of uh, the legacy of software, the team who work on it, they are not aware of how being developed. They use wrong statistical probability model. It is badly coded, so you can't test it easy. The implications of your technology go beyond economic efficiency or business efficiency. These are global political impacts that it could possibly have. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So as, as a legacy software, as this unmodernized software to stay in the business, it will someday will have a huge impact uh, at, the, at the like political level, at the economic level. Uh, exactly, coronavirus exposed a lot of the software failure issues. Did you realize this before you launched the company or while you were doing your research? Well, actually, we realized this when we uh, they go for a new technology like cloud five years or six years ago. Some organization wasn't able to go to the cloud, a new uh, software engineering paradigms like microservice. So it was developing that solution to speed up this uh, software transformation process. And then when COVID-19, it even pushed the need for such a tremendously. So I'm interested in you as Salwa. If you can tell me a bit about your own background, what you studied, how you ended up where you are. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm an Emirati tech entrepreneur. Uh, actually, I'm working currently as a senior researcher at Eptic Research Center. It is a joint research uh, established by British Telecom with Salat Khalifa University. I've been working for eight years. Uh, five years I've been working on AI and software transformation equality. What interested you in, in AI and software? Uh, it's, um, this was always my uh, hobby. It's like I was always like to program since I wasn't, uh, so software engineering was one of the, my biggest uh, interests. Was that easy to access? Were you encouraged to pursue it? Uh, well, it's like something that I was always loved to do. And I've been by myself, I initially was applying for competition uh, since I was in school. And also because I want to learn the high quality of developing software, I joined a private sector for four years. I work as a programmer for a British company based on you in Dubai. Although the rate of the salary was very low, but actually I, I tremendously learned a lot of how to build the high quality softwares that is being sold for uh, uh, customers. How do people react to you when they see that you are an Emirati woman who's uh, a coder and a programmer and an entrepreneur? What are people's initial reactions? Yeah, actually they get very supportive, particularly when they know that I'm in Marathi. They get surprised there is a, a woman in a tick for, first of all, and got in like in Marathi to go for, for example, private sector to work on that. And to be in all very, very deep in technology. And I know all single details of that. Of that. So, but at the same time, I get a lot, a lot of support from the, wherever I work. And even now currently in the research uh, center that I'm working on, they give me Actually, I lead the software quality and transformation research group at IPTIC. It was me when I joined, and now we are a group of four or five engineers. They work for you, me for this project. Did you think there are a lot of stereotypes, unfair stereotypes, when it comes to Emirati entrepreneurs? I know, actually, it's very supportive. It's absolutely oh. very supportive. And even this is why my center currently incubating, uh, incubating my startup. Are very supportive because so, everything is about returning back the investment that the country is made in make in, in terms of establishing research centers for uh, offers and learn and, and like educating locals. So when you see like a talent, like like for example myself, 
I saw all my management supporting me all to build the skill required to be an entrepreneur, to take this technology that I developed to the market. So you mentioned that you took a job in the private sector and the salary was low. A lot of people would probably be put off by that. What do you think needs to happen to encourage more Emiratis to go towards the private sector and not rely on public sector jobs? Well, I think at the early at the early stage of after graduation is like uh, it is the right time for a Marathi to explore the private sector, and I don't see it like it should be an optional; it should be like treated as a must because uh, you have that time is really for building required skills you need to to then go to the other level of uh, management and and the, and the other level. So your your decision as the management level will be more solid as you have gone through the first level, which is the technical part of, it's going to be more concrete. And you you will go completely with the confidence because when I started the research at Iptic, I was completely confident that what I'm doing is correct and then the right, and I'm approaching it the right way because I got the experience when I've been working in the private sector and I was the only local working for that. So I really encourage all Emiratis really to target the private sector to take this new technology hands-on experience. And with regards to starting SPL and encouraging more entrepreneurs to pursue deep tech, what do you think needs to happen for that to continue and to succeed? For, for deep tech, I mean, uh, for example, now to taking deep tech to market, I see there is a lot of challenges. Like the mindset of the people is even for venture capital or incubator programs, they are more uh, like uh, geared toward like B2C businesses or businesses that enabled by technology. It is not very frequent to see the deep tech. It's very rare to see deep tech. Although deep tech is very important to raise the value of the country. So this is my initiative that I'm telling all my colleagues, for example, in the research center or the universities or those who are working on innovative ideas where deep tech will startups with gonna have a huge impact, not locally, but globally. You mentioned the, the challenges and the investor aspect is, is a huge part of that problem because we don't have investors that understand deep tech in the region. It's there are very few. Is that the biggest barrier? What what are the other challenges and how, how can we overcome them? This is actually my first challenge that I see whenever I, I go for a fundraising or grant. I it's, I find it very difficult that the investor usually they need the money a company that's return money like less than a year or not that. The second uh, challenge is um, I see that there is in, in, in like the training that we got or in the incubator program, they are more focused like normal startup traditional, but there is no specific advice or training is really for deep tech. We are coming from the engineering mindset and uh, to shift to the inter entrepreneurial skills or way of thinking, it's really a huge problem, a challenge. The way when I was pitching SPL, it was all my keywords that have been using technical. So I sent people off. But then when I joined like a, a program like Ibtikari, and there were some people, they were like the coaching. Uh, they helped me. They say that you type of business is completely different because you are a deep tech. And he was helping me to, to simplify it, to transfer the message to the audience. So it is, I've been in like four incubator programs. Ibtikari is one of them. The others was really very generic that I see, but I appreciate the Ibtikari program. That's really give me this kind of a flavor for deep tech support. Which is more patriotic, 
going to work for the public sector or pursuing your own startup and becoming an entrepreneur? Well, my startups, yeah, it's, it's for me, it is the most, uh, uh, and I, to be honest, I, I've been called for other uh, government uh, uh, government positions, but I've been like rejecting that until I get the SPL really to the maturity level. How does everyone around you react to that when I'm assuming that these are good roles that you're being offered by the government? Uh, the, one of them, they said, we're going to buy your solution then, by then. <laughs> so you can go and work. <laughs> yeah, and they were very supportive in that. So go, okay, because, you know, uh, when you see someone who is self-driven and yeah. uh, they really want to take uh, initial investment to the markets to support UAE economy, knowledge of economy, they see it as a good uh, opportunity better to support rather than taking the person from a space, put it another, that's that's project might die, SPL project might die. As both Salwa and Ahmed point out, education can play a crucial role not only in changing the mindset and encouraging both the private sector and entrepreneurship as a viable career path, but to equip students with the tools needed to embark on that journey. Professor Ramesh Jagannathan, who heads up the Start AD Accelerator, has been working on encouraging Emirati entrepreneurs in the deep tech space. I serve in a couple of different roles. Uh, I'm uh, in a professor of engineering at New York University Abu Dhabi, and I'm also the vice provost for uh, innovation at NY Abu Dhabi. NY Abu Dhabi is a long-term strategic investment for, uh, by the Abu Dhabi government to help in its process of transformation to the knowledge economy. So uh, in that capacity as a vice provost, uh, I created Start AD about four years ago, and I'm the managing director. Start AD is a global startup accelerator anchored at uh, NY Abu Dhabi. It's uh, you know, powered by funding from Tom Keen which is the administrative body for New Abu Dhabi. So at Start AD, our mandate is to help build the Abu Dhabi ecosystem as a global innovation hub. So we do this through long-term impact-driven programs that are targeting local corporations, governments, startups, investors, and the youth, and also the faculty and researchers at NY Abu Dhabi and the local university. To give you an example, we all, our one of our mandates is also to help build uh, the Emirati capacity uh, in high-tech innovation space. So we recently completed our uh, second edition of the Iptikari program. The Iptikari program is specifically focused on uh, Emirati entrepreneurs, and we do this in partnership with Khalifa Fund. What has been the level of interest in it? How many entrepreneurs do you get joining? So, you know, to sort of frame it, it's obviously um, Abu Dhabi and the UAE are emerging uh, ecosystems. So uh, the history is very short in this space. And so that's, you know, why we had put together uh, the long-term strategy. So we have now, uh, actually, uh, Emirati uh, uh, Entrepreneurship Tikari program has been going on for a few years. Uh, Khalifa Fan approached us uh, about two and a half years ago. So we have run two of the programs now, about uh, 15 Emirati uh, startup entrepreneurs, but we have a long-term plan. So put it into context, uh, let us look at the global trend first, right? So you have to always ask, answer the question, why? So in the past, when we thought or talked about entrepreneurship, we talked about local places, like for example, Silicon Valley, Boston and Singapore. But going forward, the things have changed. Entrepreneurship for the first time in history is not only a global phenomenon, 
but it's a seamless global marketplace and it's available to any entrepreneur in any corner of the world. So the rules of the game have changed. So the timing is perfect for Abu Dhabi and the UAE to uh, you know, become part of the global phenomenon. It gives the UAE and Abu Dhabi and the Emirati entrepreneurs a level playing field to actually have a global impact. But in this context, you have a global ecosystem where in places like Silicon Valley, it is very developed. And then when you look at it from a regional point of view, from Abu Dhabi or the UAE's point of view, it's not as developed. Yes, there are uh, there is investment, it, ha it is a growing ecosystem. But one of the main problems is, particularly within the Emirati community, is the lack of entrepreneurs. Why are we not seeing more Emiratis pursue this as an option? Yeah, I think uh, the key point is the last sentence that you said, why are we not seeing so many Emirati entrepreneurs? Because it, we, the, the phenomenon is very recent, and so we have to be patient and plan for the long term. It's a marathon, right? We plan for the long, long term, but we are very aggressive, like we are planning for 100 meter dash. So you pointed out that, you know, two very important points. One, Silicon Valley is a mature uh, ecosystem that's vibrant, whereas the UAE and Abu Dhabi, you know, is an emerging ecosystem, right? Usually in everything is at a steady state, this would be a handicap for an emerging ecosystem to compete with the mature ecosystem. But what I just mentioned is that the rules of the game have changed, right? It's a global marketplace and it's just very recent, seven years, right? So now the legacy, you know, of, uh, you know, the legacy of the Silicon Valley, which is usually seen as a strength, is actually a weakness because they have to compete globally as a global market. We don't have a legacy that binds us to the past, but we can build our legacy and traditions and design it for the future. Abu Dhabi has the highest per capita potential angel wealth in the world, period, right? Because of the oil wealth. Two, 70% of the UAE population agree that being an entrepreneur is a good career choice. 40% of the population are now looking to begin a business in the next three years. Compare this to 8.4% only nine years ago, right? Is this among the Emirati community or is it the UAE population overall? The UAE population, right? You know, we don't have the fine details to separate, but I'm going to come to the Emirati population. You know, so 40% of the population is now beginning to start a business in three years and the global average is only 23.7%, right? So we have an advantage there. So when you ask about Emirati population or the UAE population, it's very important to recognize that aspiration and inspiration play a key role. So even if there is less number of Emirati entrepreneurs right now, but if they are immersed in an environment where it's a vibrant ecosystem of startup high-tech entrepreneurship, it pulls everybody up. Talking more about Emirati, let's go to the Emirati entrepreneurs. What we found in our Iptikari program is consistently about half of them are women founders, right? I think to me, the key uh, to our success here is you know, the women founders. Like compared to, you know, even in our global acceleration programs, 25% are women founders, right, coming from the world. We have startups coming from over 24 countries. So they are around 25%, and that's consistent with the global average. But the Iptikari programs, it's very different. Half of them are women founders, right? Why is that? Yeah, that's very interesting. Uh, we Obviously, I don't have enough data to answer that, but we have tried to understand it. So we asked the question, one of the cliches that constantly keeps coming up 
is that in this part of the world, there is this fear of failure and the potential sigma associated with it, right? Maybe we thought that that may have something to do in the gender disparity here in terms of data. So we asked uh, uh, Ittikari startups and the women entrepreneurs specifically in unison said, they're not worried about it, okay? They see it as an opportunity, you know, to do something extremely what they're passionate about. Uh, and impactful to the region, and this is available to them now. It's a new landscape, so it doesn't have any legacy built into that. So maybe that has something to do with it, but I don't know. Obviously, we need to wait and collect more data. One criticism that the regional ecosystem has is that a lot of the startups are just copycat of other ideas around the world. This doesn't really tally with, say, the the amount of engineers that come out of the region, the the investment that's going into high-tech education. We have a an artificial intelligence university in the UAE now. Is it a fair assessment to say that all the startups in the region are copycats? No, that's not a fair assessment at all. I think, to be fair, if you think about Japan or if you think about China, in the early days when they were beginning to build their ecosystem, the first thing they did was doing the copying, they was turn the US-based inventions, right? Japan, for example, was not known for that in the 1990s, and China for a long time has been known to reverse engineer products and so on. But that's just the start, right? Even right now, China is the dominant economic powerhouse in the world. Japan is known for its amazing contribution to the economic uh, scene in the world, right? It's automobile industry, it's electronics industry, and so on. So I wouldn't hold it against them. It's a first small step, right? But our focus is not on copying inventions. You know, at Start AD, we focus on high-tech enabled, in, you know, unique novel inventions, right? And they come from various spaces. The Iptikari program itself, we see uh, actually in our selection process, we're very particular to take startups that are high-tech enabled, right? So we have, you know, seen startups that cover a broad range of technologies, EdTech, e-commerce, tourism tech, medical AI, and so on and so on, right? There's a lot of enterprise-based software solutions like SPL Co, which is an amazing, you know, uh, startup founded by Emirati Woman. Uh, it provides an affordable enterprise solution to migrate data to the cloud platform. Even though the field is crowded in the world, I'm so excited to see an Emirati woman founded startup taking on this global challenge. It's a very real challenge. If she succeeds, it'll be an amazing success story. You know, even though there are, we see some copying of innovations from abroad, but there's a whole new landscape that is emerging. How do we encourage this landscape to continue to flourish? And why is it important to do so? Oh, that's great, because that's the sustaining aspect of the two things, right? If you don't create your own innovations, then you know very soon you're going to run out of gas, so to speak, right? So uh, you can use copying innovations as the initial stepping stone, but you have to create platforms that are unique to yourself. I always tell the startups and you know the stakeholders and the government and the private sector say stakeholders uh, to think of it this way, right? Now we have a global market, so I believe that entrepreneurs are telling a story through their products and services that draws upon the rich history of the cultures from that region. So clearly the world in the global marketplace would love to see products and services coming out of the UAE and the MENA region. So how do we build on it, right? As you pointed out, it's an emerging landscape, right? So the key thing in a mature landscape is that it's populated with a large number of successful entrepreneurs, right? Who serve as mentors and actually help build the ecosystem more and more up. Whereas in this region, we don't have that. So I, I made a decision that uh, to fill that gap, 
we need to become very program intensive. We can take all the learning and knowledge from the Silicon Valley and Boston over the six decades, and it's happening in the US also, and we are going to immerse and teach the Emirati entrepreneurs in this region and the other UAE-based entrepreneurs that entrepreneurship is not just about tinkering you know, in your parents' garage. It's a disciplined process that's repeatable and scalable, and it can be learned. Thanks to all of our guests, and thanks to you for listening. You can listen to all of our podcasts and the report I mentioned at the beginning on our website.